Audio. For anybody working a route, especially a limit route, knowing the hand beta isn't enough. The feet and the hips are as important to get right as the hand holds. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're psyched on beyond climbing. Now today I'm chalking up with my friend and GOAT coach Eric Hurst for a third installment of the series that we're doing together here called The Road to 13A, which follows my journey as I take on my first 513A or 7C+. As I'm sure you're all aware by now, Eric has been coaching climbers for decades, from weekend warriors to pros who climb 515. He's authored numerous best-selling training and climbing books. He hosts the very popular and well-researched Training for Climbing podcast. He's the founder of Fizzy Vantage Nutrition. And he's climbed pretty much everything at the Red River Gorge up to mid-513. So there's just nobody better than him to offer insights and guidance on my personal road to 513. Now that said, whether you're trying to break into 511 or 514, the concepts that Eric is laying out here in this series will surely help you on your own road to whatever your goal is. And today we're checking in on my progress, my training, and the tactics that I've been implementing since we last connected where I selected my project, which is this mega classic route called The Force at the dark side here at the Red River Gorge. Now, I've met a ton of you all out at the crag this fall, which has been so, so cool for me. From all over the US, you guys have been coming, but also from as far away as Scotland and Australia and Canada. It's just been such a joy for me to hear from you guys as I tackle this grade that I just, a couple of years ago, seemed like an absurd goal, to be honest. The Stoke out at the dark side has been really cool. Thank you all so much for your support, whether I saw you personally out of the crag or just have gotten messages from you on Instagram. It's really made this journey awesome, and I'm, I'm so grateful to have you guys here. This episode's being brought to you at zero cost, thanks to the most badass climbing nutrition company around, Fizzy Vantage. Y'all know Fizzy Vantage was founded by today's guest, GOAT coach Eric Hurst, as a way to help everyone, from pros to weekend warriors, level up our training, stay healthy, recover faster, and perform at our best. I have been going hard for the past six months to push my climbing to the next level here in my training and, and my performance, and I've just never felt better. Fizzy Vantage is as important to me as my climbing shoes are when it comes to performing my best at the gym and out at the proj. And since this episode today is all about my big project, here's my routine for when I'm getting out on the route. The first thing I put in my body when I get going in the morning is their organic greens, which gets the day started off with some banger nutrients. I love it. It feels great. I don't do any tea or coffee on climb mornings because I want to save that caffeine boost for when I'm getting out on the proj. So instead, I prep two bottles for the crag. One has a mix of Fizzy Vantage supercharged collagen and Sendurex, which work together to support my tendon health and boost endurance. And those are two things that I need a lot of on the force. And then in the second bottle, I mix in some of their electrolyte mix called Flow, which keeps me hydrated out at the crag all day when I'm putting in those long burns. And speaking of those big burns, that's where the caffeine now comes in. I skipped the morning tea, right? So I could get the most out of my caffeine boost. So I take Crush by Fizzy Vantage. It doesn't make me jittery. It gives me just the amount of boost and focus that I need right when I'm pulling onto the project. I love that stuff. And then at the end of the day, after I crush it on the route or get my butt kicked by it, usually the latter, at least that's been the routine lately, 
I speed up my recovery with 40 grams of chocolate-flavored vegan PowerPlex protein. It's delicious. It's what my muscles need after a long day at the crag. All of their stuff is crazy delicious, you guys, and it's science-based. All of those papers and the research is up on their website. I can't recommend it enough. Hit that link in your show notes or pop over to fizzyvantage.com struggle15 to get 15% off your order. And lastly here, just a big thanks to all you patrons and subscribers out there. So many of you have joined up to support the show and the struggle community here recently. I'm blown away and just so incredibly grateful. It's a lot of work putting these shows together, y'all, and your support really means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's hop aboard the struggle bus now as we continue down the road to 13A with Eric Hurst. I'm grateful for your time here so we could kind of reconnect here on the, on the road to 13A. This is a, probably a good entry point for us to maybe do a, a little bit of a, a state of the route or um, kind of bring you and, yeah. and uh, of course, you've been out there with me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm keeping you posted and you've seen me on the route. But um, for those who are listening who haven't, I'll give a quick little recap and then would love your assessment of how things are sure. going and maybe where we go from here. So the last time we spoke, we chose the route. And I had been on it, I had sussed it, I'd been out there with you and, you know, didn't, I don't think even make, no, I didn't make it to the chains on that, but kind of bolted right. my way up it. And since then, I've put seven days in on the project and each of those days varies. Some of them were very hot days and I was just working the bottom pocket band or the boulder crux. I didn't make it to the top, maybe... You know how sharp it is out there. I might only get two goes in. It's also been pretty busy. It's a pretty popular route. So I would say in seven days out there, I've probably put in somewhere between 15 and 17 goes on different sections of the route. And only a few of those days did I actually make it all the way up to the chains. As you know, it's a pretty long, pretty bumpy route with that red point crux at the top. Uh, but my last day out was my best day and, and you were there, uh, which was nice. So you got to see me uh, put in my best go to date on that. And that's when I've really started feeling like, oh, this thing could come together. I feel like I'm capable of doing this route. There were some pretty dark days of those in those first few days when I was out there mm -hmm. where I was getting stopped by the boulder problem, didn't know my beta, just really getting worked by the route. The, t the top section felt mid 12, but now it's all feeling a little bit more reasonable. So I, you know, without uh, belaboring too much of what's happened up to this point, that kind of brings us current two steps forward, one step back in some cases. And fortunately, the last time on the route, uh, I got that high point, which felt really good. So I'm feeling motivated. Uh, whereas maybe if you had asked me this question or if we had, mm -hmm. had this conversation a few weeks ago, I might've been feeling a little bit more down on myself. Right. Well, let me give you some feedback here. First of all, I want to say, Ryan, I've been here at the Red for over a month, as you know, and I've had many people probably eight or 10 people asked me, how is Ryan doing on the force? So we have our growing fan base here following this series. And as recently as yesterday, I had a gentleman come up to me and say he absolutely loved the concept of the series. He's waiting for updates. And even though he's currently projecting his first 12B, uh, he's working on AL8, 
he said he thought our conversations in the two previous episodes, you know, were speaking to him. And so I took that as a huge endorsement of what you're doing here with the struggle and with this particular series. And so I think, you you know, you should, you should feel good that you're helping arm other people with the inspiration and the knowledge to, you know, stretch their boundaries and go for the next grade, whatever it may be. Now, specifically to your situation, you know, I knew from the get go that picking the force, it's not the low hanging fruit option for you. You picked a very solid route, a route that has multiple cruxes that would demand a lot technically, mentally, physically. And so you were, you know, really reaching high for this as your first 13A, but it's also admirable because it's going to require a full on effort and commitment. And, you know, while the goal is to send it this season yet, you know, it, it may or may not happen. And I've seen you go through the typical progression that I've experienced and many climbers experience when they're working a limit project. Um, kind of an emotional roller coaster ride. You have the high, the first day or two of getting on the new project and discovering the holds and hopefully how amazing the route is. But then if it doesn't go down quickly in the first couple of days, then reality sets in that you're in for a fight that could be enduring. And I don't know exactly when it was, maybe a month ago in conversation, one day you said something where you applied, I don't think it's going to happen this season. And then I jumped on you and said, hey, that's way premature. And, you know, don't start you know, thinking that way because, you know, that would make it easy to kind of pull the plug on it for this season, say I'm going to re- return to it in the spring. And I, I, I saw that emotion from you, uh, that doubt pass quickly, which made me happy because I think a week later I spoke to you and you were all in still and making progress and rapid progress, you know, going from not even being able to get to the top of the route on your first day to within a few sessions, being able to go bolt to bolt up the route. And then a a couple more sessions dialing in the crux, which is the bottom five bolts or so. And then when I saw you last week, having that bottom part so dialed in, so efficient that going through that pocket band almost looked effortless for you. And that got me psyched because that's exactly what I told you you needed to do was, you know, get that bottom part nailed down, become decisive because of all the pockets in that section. It's very easy to kind of give into the urge to grab something new each time. And I knew that, and uh, therefore I had coached you on the idea of settling on a sequence, getting it dialed and repeating it the same way every time. And in doing that, you will get faster and more efficient every time. And that's exactly what I saw last week is that you would get through that pocket crux into that first shakeout jug and not be hardly strained. And that's great because then you can, you know, regroup and fire into what for you is the hardest part is coming out of that first rest, you know, the very kind of dynamic boulder. And, you know, you did that a couple of times I saw you go through and one time take it up to a point where you were able to put together a one hang ascent. So to me, that was a huge breakthrough. Going from two or three hangs to one hang on that route is a huge step in 
you know, the process of sending the route. Yeah. It felt amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. It felt amazing to be able to, to get that high point, especially after a, a pr couple sessions prior, I had gotten the two hang and I'd set little goals for myself, little signposts along the way. Um, I was calling them kill criteria as based on, uh, a podcast that Chris Hampton did on Power Company uh, about essentially trying to name these signposts that if you don't hit them, maybe it's time to walk away from the project. And I don't know if I honestly would have walked away uh, or not because I'm so psyched on this, but one of my goals was to hang by session six. And I did that in session four, but then on session five and then on session six, I didn't get the two hang. I kind of went backwards a little bit because I was trying to I think I was trying to just move on and what I recognized, at least when I went back in session six, or it may have even been the start of session seven, when I got that high point was that there were efficiencies to be found, even though I thought I had decided on my beta and the force, like the big, um, uh, challenge for me in that bottom half, as you were coaching me to go very swiftly and efficiently through all that was that while I had figured out my hands, I hadn't figured out my feet. And you know, on that route, there's mm. a thousand different feet you can use and it's all pockets and it's all confusing. And there's a big difference between a foot that's, you know, here and one that's three inches higher or to the left or to the right. And mm -hmm. so I, I kind of, after that six session of actually going backwards and not getting the two hang, I went to a bolt to bolt strategy again. And I just tried to figure out the feet and find a little bit better body positioning and movement. And then that really did come together well when you came out on session seven, where I did go ground all the way almost up to the last bolt. And then I did an overlapping one hang, which was a huge leap for me, you know, going from where I would just barely go ground through the crux to now ground through the crux to the rest, a couple more mm. bolts to another rest, and then up to that kind of final punch to the chains, which I'm not deluding myself. I could probably hang that bolt for 10 sessions to be perfectly honest. Cause there's a lot of work to be done between, you know, that last bolt in the top of the chains, but it was still a, a, a big leap for me. And I think it yeah. was finding those efficiencies, like you were saying, finding the right feet, finding the right pockets so that where it took, took me before maybe two and a half minutes to go ground to the rest. Now it was taking me 90 seconds or 80 seconds. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I like what you, that you got into some detail there about the importance of the footwork. And I'll add to that, along with footwork comes the body position, where the hips are setting on any given move. That speaks to efficiency. And so for anybody working a route, especially a limit route, knowing the hand beta isn't enough. And that's, I think, a common mistake is people tend to visualize the hand beta you know, trying to figure that out. When we're climbing around, our hands encounter the holds first and our feet kind of follow behind. And so it's easy to think in that way. It's easy to lay in bed at night and go through the visualization of a route and think about the hand sequence. But to get back on the route and just make up the feet as you go, I mean, that's something you could do when you're climbing well below your limit. Uh, or a pro climber who's been at it for decades can intuitively find the foot you know, placements and body positions with no thought. But for the rest of us, the feet and the hips are as important to get right as the hand holds, because that is really where efficiency comes from, is the whole system, how it's working on any given move. 
And so I like that you are becoming more intentional about the foot placements and hopefully you're able to replicate that through the route. And I would say when you're at home doing your visualization, you know, it's, you know, it's not just how many reps you put in on the route in person, but you can add to that in a meaningful way with those mental reps, the visualization that you can do when you're at home in bed at night. And you should be thinking not just the hand beta, but again, the feet, you know, if you can have a snapshot of what the critical footholds look like, that builds that memory into your brain so you can move more quickly and efficiently. And one step further is the hip position and the feel of the moves. I'm big on, on crux moves at least, knowing what I call the feel beta. What does it feel like, you know, through your torso, kind of that kinesthetic feel when you do a move the right way versus when you set it up the wrong way. And that can be quite powerful on red point when you're on a hard move and you're kind of seeking that feel as you're kind of say shifting your hips over a high foot or twisting your hips. And you, if you have a memory of what it feels like to do it the right way, that can aid you to get through that crux move a lot more quickly. And so there's a lot of power there in the mental training. You know, we tend to get bogged down on the physical reps and the physical training, but climbing at your limit is oh, just as much a technical and mental feat as it is a physical achievement. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I'm so glad that we're talking about that because we will talk about in a second here, maybe some training ideas that we can do between now and, and you know, hopefully where I, I'm able to clip those chains. But that mental side, especially running that beta, has become for me such a joyful part of this process. And maybe it started kind of in a meaningful way last year when I was working on Jesus Wept, because that was another one with a high crux that was very technical. And I would really think about where I was putting my feet, my hands and my body. And certainly like that hip position, it was all about yeah. matter of degree. But on this one, it's been, you know, 10x where I'm laying in bed every single night and I'm like finding such joy. And I feel like for those of us who are weekend warriors, who can't get out to the project very much, that's essentially a way to get more reps on the project. If I'm only able, able to get out there once a week, then, right. you know, I'm, I'm able to actually climb the route every single day in my mind. And that's, that's really become such a fun part of the process. And I think I recall reading, or maybe it was a, a, a podcast that you did, an episode on training for climbing, where there's been some research to suggest that uh, running these kinds of things over and over again actually does improve the performance on the rock. It'll actually hasten the mm. efficiencies of the movement. So it's not just a fun way to fall asleep, but it's also, yeah. I think, for us who can't get out to the project as often as we would like, it's a way to, to try to get some more laps in. Yeah, no, that's there's excellent research on that, not climbing specific, but in terms of mental training, I mean, all of our skills, we talk about muscle memory on a route, you know, when you get a move dialed and really know what it feels like, people say muscle memory, but the muscles have no memory. That movement knowledge and that kinesthetic feel is brain-based. So it's really, you know, it's brain training that brings about, you know, those gains in skill. And so when you're running these visualizations, the key parts of your brain are firing in the same way they are when you're actually doing the move. Now, the, the muscles, your fingers aren't contracting, 
uh, like they are, but in terms of what's happening, uh, you know, in the uh, neurons of your brain, it's the same um, schema that are firing. And so there is value in those mental reps as long as they are accurate and detailed. So, you know, going through vague uh, notions of what the sequence is does you no good. It's got to be, you know, that's why I talk about taking a mental snapshot of a key foothold uh, or a key handhold, uh, that mental snapshot, even what it looks like with your hand in the hold or the pocket. Those mental snapshots uh, give you kind of a crisp memory to recall when you return to the route, but also when you do that visualization. And, you know, in terms of the fetal beta, that's a little tougher to take a snapshot at, but you can still pay attention to when you're on the route, what it feels like to do a move the right way versus when you do it the wrong way and fall off. And by knowing the difference in that feel, you then have the clues to leverage to, to do it the right way when you're on point and to kind of seek that feel of the right way of setting your hips, let's say, before you make a reach. And, you know, so this is, you know, one of the beautiful things about climbing is it is such a complex game that we play. It's really 3D chess in a sense because of all the facets and things that come into play. And, you know, with every day you invest into the training, into working the route, hopefully you're gaining you know, just a better feel for the moves, more knowledge of the, you know, nuance that is critical to get right. If you're going to send a, a route at your limit, again, if you're climbing below your limit, you can get a lot of stuff wrong. You know, that's what you can onsite, you know, a certain grade, you can kind of make it up as you go, but to red point at your limit, you need to get most of it right to clip the chains. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely feeling that now. And it's always encouraging <clears throat> to start to find that sections that used to feel limit now feel um, very kind of casual. You mentioned that bottom pocket band. I was looking back before this chat at some early videos of when I was making it through that ground into that first rest, but every move I was making was like a grunt move. You know, like I was watching the video and I was like, ah, yeah. ah, and I was really like working through it and I was gassed. And then the last one, the most recent one, I didn't you know, and I'm, a, I'm a pretty vocal climber. Like I do like to get those grunts and, you know, scream when I'm really going for something, but you know, not a single noise from the ground to the rest. I didn't chalk up once. I just kind of, you know, moved through with such efficiency there. And then same mm -hmm. with the crux, the boulder. It's always interesting that you could change a move when things get a little bit more efficient or a little bit stronger. And so to, to take that nebulous concept and, and make it specific in that move, on the crux move, you get that high right pinch, and I cut feet for a second to set my um, body to, to swim the left hand over onto that little sloper rail. Now, to that, to up to the point of when I did it properly, I think, in, in my estimation, with uh, you there in my last session, I was hitting the left side of that because it was the closest side I could hit with my left hand as I was mm. bringing my left hand over. That's not the best side of the hold, but I would hit that and then quickly bring my right hand up to the better side, match there, and then try to throw out to that undercling. Whereas on my more successful go, or you know, my most successful go rather, I got the boulder problem pinch and set the feet much more efficiently. And of course yeah. the conditions were a lot better. It was crisper. Yeah. But that allowed you made it look easy. And to the better part of the hold, 
so that I could skip the match and just go out, you know? So Correct. it was like, it was a harder move. It's because I'm moving my hand further, but it's a much more secure move. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw you do that. And what stood out to me is like, you dominated the move that time. It wasn't like you were fighting to hang on. It's like, you just, you did the move and you just looked strong. And so I think, was that your second go up on it that day? Yeah, it was actually my third time right. through that sequence. That day. That day, yeah. Yeah, so you looked, you know, how sometimes your first go, you're not fully warmed up. You haven't had that specific warm up yet. And so you looked like you were just warmed up and at full strength and you did the move. And, you know, that's kind of where you need to be the day that you do red point the round, you know, that, you know, it might be a second go, you know, after you've had your first go and you got the specific warm up down and, you know, everything's primed and ready for a best effort. And that's kind of where you were on that go. And that was the go that you did the one hang, right? That's right. Yeah. Went, yeah. went up the first time I'd ever made it through the crux to the rest, to that next good rest actually got something back, which I had never done before in that rest, even when I was like, you know, two hanging or three hanging, and then surprised myself by going nearly up to the last bolt there. I could hear you commenting on the video. It's great. I put it up on Instagram, but I, I had to speed it up because I was on the route for so long. But when I listened to it in real time, when I'm getting up towards that top bolt, you, my, my elbows pop out and you, and like, I heard you comment because you were standing next to the camera. You said, oh, he's probably coming off soon. And sure enough, it was like one or two more moves and I came off. So that's a good maybe opportunity for us to bring this current, which is, okay, I've got a, a one hang, which was in a sense an overlapping one hang because I popped at the last bolt. But then when I pulled back on, I pulled back on at the bolt below that because that was the bolt that caught me. Mm. And then I went to the chains. And that two bolt sequence, even though I hung for probably 10 minutes, was fully limit to go from that those last mm. two bolts. And so I don't have top of route dialed or efficient or confident like i i have the bottom of the route and obviously i'm going to need that so i'm curious now seven sessions in hopefully we have another month of decent weather here but you know that was my first one hang what should i be focusing on do you think when i go out on the route tomorrow and the next handful of times i go out on the force but also things that I could or should be doing here at home, either on the tread wall or a spray wall or a moon board, or, you know, just the tools that I have at, at my mm. disposal here in Louisville. Right. Well, you know, I think we, in the first episode of this series, I think we talked about my experience on the force a decade ago, where I fell on red point on that final, um, 15 feet a couple of times. And that's very common. Uh, among people, you know, who climb the forest. Uh, and so I, I remember discussing with you then the importance of really having that last 15 feet dialed in, knowing the exact sequence so that when you get to that last little shakeout, you can just press a button and execute, you know, what is it, 10 moves maybe to get to the clipping hold for the chains without doubt without, you know, pausing, you just need to be able to execute. And so you're not there yet. I mean, you know, the beta, you're not still experimenting with beta. I don't think up there, but it didn't look like it, it's not automatic yet. Right. And it, it needs to be automatic in a fatigued state. So therein lies the question is, can you gain enough efficiency 
on everything up to that point so that you have more left in the tank than you had the other day to take it to the top. Or if, you, if there's not enough to efficiency to be gained to save some of that anaerobic reserve that you need, you know, then it comes down to, you know, do we need another training block to close the deal on this route to mm-hmm. just gain another level of fitness? Yeah. And I can't answer that question, you know, I, but what we do know as Red River Gorge climbers and anybody who's climbed here on these steep, long, you know, unrelenting routes is going from multiple hangs to two hangs is a faster process oftentimes than going from one hang to zero hangs. You know, getting rid of that last hang is often the crux of the route. And certainly in the forest, I think that's the case as well. And again, maybe you send it your next good weather day there. You know, you could be that close to it. So I think you should be motivated in that way. But on the other hand, knowing the Red River Gorge and the way these routes are, especially when you're at your limit on them, you know, getting to one hang is a huge step in the process, but going to zero hangs can be a a big difference, obviously, getting rid of that, getting rid of that 10 minute shakeout that you took. Yeah, exactly. A common trait for this route, especially with that really high red point crux is that if the fitness isn't there, the efficiency isn't there, it can spit you off at the top there. Mm. Uh, it's pretty unforgiving. And uh, now for, for, for me, um, it, just in terms of a self-assessment of my fitness, I feel really fit. I've been doing three mm. on one off on the tread wall at, you know, pretty decent, you know, and anywhere between 15 and 25 degrees. I'll do like 10 sets of that. You and I talked about this a while ago. I have been able to get out on the route sometimes two days a week, which is great. Or if not on the route, out to the red, maybe I'll do one day on the project, but it's real sharp and you know, it's hard. And so I'll go a second day somewhere else where I need to support a friend on their project that's at a different crag, or I'll bring the kids out and we'll find a, you know, an, an area where there's just a variety of grades. So I'm putting in some good volume, I think. I'm feeling very fit. I do really like to climb in cold. I don't kind of numb out or have some of the challenges like you experience when, when the rock gets cold. So I should have, Hopefully another month. I didn't put down Jesus Wept until January of last of this year. Of course, that's a sunny crag, so it's a, a different yeah, conditions there. Big difference. Yeah. Hopefully, I have some more days here, and I do feel pretty fit. So I'm excited, and I'm curious. One's a tactical question for you. One's a training question. Tactically speaking, now that we feel pretty good, although I'm sure I could always get better, ground through both cruxes into that middle rest but I'm much less experienced while I've probably done that sequence, I don't know, maybe 12 times or something. I've only gone from the middle rest to the chains five times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, should I just spend my time on that or should I continue to dial in some efficiencies on the lower, you know, if I get maybe three or four goes a day on the force, how do you feel I might want to spend my time? Well, here's the thing. I mean, to get up to, practice the upper third of that route, there's no way to get there except to climb the bottom part. You know, it's not not like a boulder problem. You could break it into two parts and you could climb a ladder, you know, to get to the middle of the route or something. There's no way to get up there except to climb the bottom part. You you could bolt a boulder. So, I mean, that's kind of the decision you have to make is, are you going to go up there every time 
you know, go a little dark side each time and just kind of have a red point mindset where I'm going to climb it as far as I can and then, you know, see what happens and perhaps fall several more sessions and at that point then work the end. Or do you go up and what if you climbed the route through the boulder problem and then took the bolt just above that and rested for five minutes and then tried to take it from there to the top and kind of employ low pointing. I'm not sure. I mean, what I did is I was just going for a red point every time. And, you know, I fell multiple times at the top and then eventually came back and did it. And so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of has to be decided on a day by day basis. I guess this would be my recommendation is if you get out there and it's another really good weather day, like it was last time, I think you owe it to yourself to be making red point goes because just, you know, lightning might strike. You might clip the chains. We've all experienced that in climbing where you get that surprise send. That happened to me on Kaleidoscope back on Easter Sunday. I wasn't planning on a red point go and just everything lined up and I sent it. It was, you know, just low gravity day. And so if you get there and it's one of those days, I think you owe it to yourself to, to go for the red points. Now you go out tomorrow with Jordan and it's raining and, you know, maybe the top of the route's wet. You just, I think you just get on and you have a, a no pressure kind of day. You're just going to get on there and work the route. Strive for efficiency. Maybe, you know, not even worry about a one hang. Just go up there and hopefully the conditions are good enough you can get through the boulder, maybe take, climb the middle part, maybe take it the last bolt or second to last bolt. And then if it's dry, climb to the top and therefore have no pressure to perform, but rather be in a practice mode. Like that team sport athlete, the football player who's just at practice for the day, running the same play over and over for, you know, the repetitions. And so I think that's maybe how I would decide on that, Ryan, is you get there a good weather day, you go for red point goes. You go there on a bad weather day and you should feel no stress and just make it about practice goes. I like that a lot. And even to your earlier point as well on the good weather day, I make the red point go. I don't send, let's say I pop off, you know, somewhere towards the top, hopefully hang there and really get it all back and then maybe go for some low pointing mm -hmm. or some overlapping links mm -hmm. and this kind of thing, because I do, you know, it's a different feeling to, to climb four bolts through to the chains than two bolts through to the mm -hmm. chains or one bolt through to the chain. So I think it'll be good for me to continue to harness that fight and that efficiency so that it's to your point, very automatic when I get to the top, because it's, it, that's an area where you just have to move very quickly. There's not a big opportunity to get much back on those last couple of bolts. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have seen climbers hang out there and shake for an eternity, but they're 514 climbers. And so I, for me, I think I'm going right. to sprint. And that speaks to maybe the second part of my question, which is any training that might I might want to focus on for the next, let's say, six weeks. Let's you know kind of take me through to the end of the year here, into the holidays mm -hmm. where there's going to be a necessary slowdown and I'll probably put on a few holiday pounds. Is there anything that I should be changing in my training or perhaps even removing, I guess, maybe from my training, yeah. just with making sure that I'm giving those red point goes the absolute best. Right, right. Well, I think, you know, we've talked about this previously. When you're in this mode of working towards the red point recently, there's no new training initiative, uh, protocol or program that's going to close the deal for you. It's more about, you know, the training is getting on the route. That's the most specific training. And so when you're at home training at the gym uh, or 
at, at your house on a hangboard or whatever, it's really the best thing is to be in maintenance mode and doing things to keep all of your, all three energy systems up to snuff, but not risking the deep fatigue that you can succumb to when you're in an intense training block. When you get to Christmas and kind of your off season for a month, you know, then you can eat a little more and train a little harder. And, you know, you know, you're not in that red point mode anymore, at least for that time frame. But now when you're still hoping to close the deal here, maybe in the next three to six weeks, you want to arrive at the crag fresh. So A, you can put in your best effort to perhaps send the route. Because if you get there fatigued, there's just no way it's going to happen, right? It's, a, it's such a limit route for you. And so I, I think you kind of stick with what you've been doing the last few weeks is doing, you know, planning seven days in advance, at least knowing what your climbing days at the red are, and then working backwards from that. Okay. How much rest do I need before those red river days? And then what maintenance training can I do? You know, it might just be one day that's kind of strength power oriented to fully turn on your nervous system. And then one day that is more aerobic fitness, you know, the tread wall climbing. Um, anytime you're on the tread wall for more than two minutes, you're training more the aerobic energy system than anaerobic. And so those sub-maximal longer efforts that are two or three minutes are more aerobic, as is the force. The force is far more an aerobic climb than it is anaerobic. The crux moves are anaerobic but the total package of climbing the route is far more aerobic. And so, you know, that's obviously something that just a runner needs to go out and put in their base mileage each week, you know, to maintain all the, you know, things related to the bioenergetics of the aerobic energy system, you kind of need that too. Now your climbing days, you're getting that aerobic training when you're at the red one or two days a week, but uh, in the gym setting, it wouldn't hurt to have a third day to really kind of keep that energy system powered up. Um, and if we get to the unfortunate situation that winter arrives and you haven't sent, well, then we have to kind of then look at what is your training program to fill in the gap until you're back to the red on a warm day. And, you know, one thing that I'm, I know you've thought about, we've discussed is the dark side at the red is not sanctuary, which is where your project was last year at this time in terms of the dark side is the northeast facing crag, which means it gets about one hour of sun in the morning. And that one hour of sun in the morning, you're driving. You're not, you're in your car. You're not there yet. So by the time you roll into the dark side at 1030 or 11 AM, it's into the shade. And for anybody listening who's not been to the dark side at the Red River Gorge, let me paint a little bit of a picture for you. It's an overhanging wall. It's northeast facing. It's got a gray color to it. Typically, those gray walls at the red are the ones that get very little sun, whereas the sunny exposures, like the sanctuary, uh, are more orange or white in nature, clean looking. And so the overall feel of the dark side is darkness. You know, there's a reason it was named that. It, it, you know, it's, you know, very little sun, dark rock, a cool feel, even in the summer, it has a cool feel. You go there now and people are huddled in their down coats at the base of the route because it's a really chilly spot. And I think while you might function there pretty well with temperatures in the 40s, I think if it's in the 30s, you're going to have a tough time 
climbing your best. Whereas at the sanctuary last winter with the sun, you were probably in a t-shirt when I was in the thirties. Yeah. I feel that clock ticking for sure. The good news is if I'm able to, you know, the stars align and I'm able to put this together in the next handful of weeks, then I might be able to carry that fitness over to a sunny wall and have still a little bit more of the season here. But mm -hmm. otherwise you're right. It may hit a point where hot hands in the chalk bags aren't doing enough to keep my fingers from numbing out on the route. But I think just looking at the extended forecast here, we've been very, it's been a very warm autumn season at the red. And, you know, I'm every time I've been out to the dark side thus far, and we're into late November here, it's been more on the warm side than it has on the cold side. So we haven't quite crossed over that mm. line yet, but we'll see in the coming days, this Saturday, high of 60, I'm going to be out there. And, and then into the next week, that's when we're dropping down kind of into that mid fifties. And that's where we'll start to see right. it's getting a little too chilly, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it hell and, and continue to work it. I appreciate your guidance there as well, just on how to keep the energy systems firing without bringing any fatigue into the route. I want to make sure I'm coming in fresh and at yeah. 44 years old, I need a little bit more. I like to have two full days off before I go out and give a red point day, just because my body really uh, responds well to that, that extra mm -hmm. rest. So if I'm going to be climbing two days a week out at the red, maybe that gives me one other day to try to, you know, do a little bit of hangboarding or a little bit on the moon board just to kind of fire up that snappiness. But otherwise I'll just be on the route, which you know, has worked for Chris Sharma and, and certainly has worked for you, by the way. And so I know we only have a couple more minutes here, but I think this is a great way to, to maybe wrap up this conversation is since we last spoke here on the road to 13, I think you've ticked off five, five, 13, maybe more. I, you're doing such quick ascents out there. Five 13s in a day, 12 D 12 plus flashing second go. You're the second go master. So I'm curious, just you know, how you're feeling about your season and what your goals are for the next mm -hmm. handful of weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pleased, you know, I'm blessed to be able to work here at the red for a few weeks and climb three or four days a week. At this point, having been here for more than a month, I was just discussing with my housemates here that I am in desperate need of a deload week. Just, you know, kind of an old guy thing, uh, even with two days recovery. I'm not finding that I get back to 100% anymore. And so that's kind of the classic sign. When you take two days off and go climbing and you're not 100%, you, you know you're in need of a deload, you know, because you've just, your system has uh, fallen behind on recovery. And that happens faster to older guys than to younger climbers. And so I'm kind of at that point now that my trip is uh, near its end and it's unlikely I'm going to send any of my kind of more limit routes. So I'm kind of just cleaning up some routes that I've wanted to do 12s. And, you know, I did a couple of 13 A's in the past week or two. And so yeah, it feels good to be able to do that type of thing quickly. It's very gratifying. I'm someone that, especially as an older climber, I, I like the feeling of achieving and sending routes. When you're younger, it's easier to put in a lot of time onto one route and delay the gratification because you have this timeline of many years, but you know, that's the stuff of pro climbers and young climbers. But I find as an older climber, it's hard to commit many days or weeks to a single route. And I have a couple of those routes that I'm dabbling in, 
but I don't think I, I'm in the place I need to be to close the deal on any of them yet this season. So I'm climbing more for fun. And like I said, for checking off and, you know, clipping chains on some lesser routes uh, because I want to enjoy my time here. You even managed yeah. to put up a first ascent in that uh, mix there. Yeah, that's something I've done a lot of uh, here at the Red, that's for sure. But it was fun to to put in a few bolts and it's a, had, I think, six ascents so far. So people... The feedback has been good. Well, I yeah. have just continue to gain and draw so much inspiration from your love of climbing, getting out there and having as much fun on a submaximal low 12 as you just recently posted what you found was maybe one of your favorite or the best 12B mm. that you'd been on. And, you know, you've been on a lot of them. And this was just recently as you do climbing a 13C like you did with Kaleidoscope not that long ago. So it's I think it's great. For those who are listening who aren't trying to climb their first 513A, those who have approached me at the crag or you, that gentleman that you talked to just recently trying to climb his first 12B, which you picked a stout one with AL8. You know, there are some others out there, some lower hanging fruit perhaps. But for those of us, whatever journey we're on, to find those days and just get out and get on things to, almost as a palate cleanser to clip the chains, mm -hmm. I find to be very helpful mentally and emotionally. And that's still a side goal of mine that you and I talked about in our first conversation was bumping my flash grade up to 12A. And I haven't, all of my time, I've put a lot, mostly into the force here, but maybe that's something mm. that once the dark side turns a little bit cold, I could set my sights on a sunny crag 12A and, and try and tick off that objective. Yeah, that's good. And that's important. You know, we need to know what it feels like to win. And so it can be you know, it can get you down if you're plugging away at a project and failing uh, over and over. And professionals are used to that because that's kind of what they sign up for when they become professionals is they're pushing themselves. You know, Tommy Caldwell spending a decade to free Don Wall or, you know, the pros that are doing the hardest sport routes invest weeks into them, sometimes come back a couple of times over seasons for them. And so their brains are wired a little differently than us. You know, I kind of consider you and me more weekend warrior types. And uh, it's important to keep it fun because we have all the other stuff in our life, jobs and family, you know, these stressors that first and foremost, climbing should be a stress relief. It should be something that's fun. And if projecting the force is fun for you, then that's awesome. But when projecting ever starts to feel like a job, I think that's when you need to change gears and do something different in terms of, you know, clipping chains on some easier routes. And especially for weekend warriors, climbing should always be fun. And, and, you know, while I still aspire to climb hard routes, I really realize that the number one thing is I need to go out each day and really enjoy what I'm doing at the crag. And I'm here in a cabin at the Red River Gorge and I'm by far the worst climber in the cabin. You know, everybody here is stronger than me. So. <laughs> so I could get down on that when I see everybody else around me climbing many grades above my level. Uh, but, it, you know, we're all here to you know, enjoy this terrific rock climbing. And really, to all the listeners out there, you know, obviously the grade should always be secondary. The number one thing is the experience, the recreating outdoors, or as I like to say, recreating outdoors. Because I feel like each day out, we kind of get, you know, a fresh perspective on things and, you know, kind of can recreate ourselves each day we're out in nature climbing. And I think, you know, the more climbers we have climbing outdoors, the, the better the world will be. Indeed. Well, what a perfect sentiment to, to wrap this conversation up on. The road continues. We will 
do a, hopefully in the next handful of weeks here, we'll have a, a look back at what it took to clip the chains of the force. But I'm just loving being on this journey. I'm truly enjoying the process. I really am getting so much joy from it. And I'm really grateful for your continued coaching and support, Eric. The psych is very high. And uh, I'll be at the Red later tonight and then tomorrow. So I'll swing by the cabin, I'll say hi, and I will at least temporarily relieve you of the title of the worst climber in the cabin. <laughs> And that wraps up yet another checkpoint on my long road to 513A with the GOAT coach himself, Eric Hurst. I hope the concepts that he laid out here today will apply to whatever goals that you've set for yourself this season and beyond. And let's be sure to heed coaches' wise words and make sure that whatever our climbing goals are, number one is to have fun. I'm having a lot of fun on this thing, and I'm glad you're on this journey with me. If you'd like to see some of my struggles, and a few breakthroughs along the way, you can pop over to my Insta, at The Struggle Climbing Show. i got some reels up there that show the work that I've been doing on the route. And if you'd like to learn more from Coach Hurst on any number of topics, climbing-related and beyond, follow him at Eric underscore Hurst and at Training for Climbing. Now, a huge thanks to Fizzy Vantage for bringing you this episode at zero cost. Hit that link in your show notes to score 15% off their banger products and take your nutrition game to the next level. And also a big thanks to all of y'all out there supporting the show through Patreon and Apple subscriptions. Now, there's a free trial going on right now on both of those platforms. So if you've been freeloading the pod for a while now, maybe now is the time for you to see what the membership feels like. I put a ton of exclusive stuff up there for patrons and for subscribers, including pro clinics from the likes of Alex Johnson, Dr. Tyler Nelson, Ravioli Biceps, Allison Vest, Jordan Cannon, and many others. There's also bonus content on there from Chris Sharma, Alex Honnold, Nina Williams, Dave McLeod, Michaela Kirsch, and some other names you'll probably recognize. It's like 30 plus hours of uncut videos, unreleased footage, and bonus content. There's all sorts of other perks as well. It's there for like five bucks a month or totally free right now with the trial. So, you know, if you've been getting some value from this show, if you're enjoying it, if it's making your life and your climbing world a little bit better, and of course, if you have a few bucks to spare, it would be awesome to have you aboard as a member. You can learn all about that at patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show. Or if you're an iPhone person, you can start your free trial right there with just a couple clicks in your Apple podcast app. Thank you so much. I love you. Hey, did you know The Struggle is carbon neutral in partnership with the Handel Foundation? I love this. I love giving them money every month. They're doing amazing work to bring clean energy to communities around the world. You can check out their latest grant recipients at HandelFoundation.org. They're supporting some amazing projects in communities all over the place. Toss them some love if you can. It feels great. And lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin. I hope your training and climbing are going great. And if you're struggling on your proj like I am right now, well, hop aboard the struggle bus because the struggle makes us stronger. See y'all soon.